Welcome to Jesus Culture, where we discuss Jesus and His Word at the intersection of culture. Welcome to Jesus Culture. It's good to be back. We've been out for a while, um, but we are looking at uh, the book of Amos and continuing studying in the book of Amos and the good news about injustice. Um, I'm really excited about today. I think it's got a lot of uh, um, great analogies and crossovers in our time. Uh, taking a look at nationalism, moralism, uh, just lots of great things. Um, so stay with us and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Jesus Culture. Uh, we are, as I said, in the book of Amos, uh, chapter 3, and I want to read from that. It says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? The Lord God is nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has word. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her. And the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with a corner of a couch uh, and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. Though the day I punish Israel, for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory will, shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Well, there's a lot there. Yeah, there really is. Um, and the question is, really, you know, what are we, what are we looking at? Um, you know, we've been looking through Amos. Uh, we, we see clearly uh, the sins uh, of, of Israel um, throughout this time. Uh, two primary sins is God, people has rejected his word, Amos 2, uh, 4 and 12. And also um, there's uh, an inappropriate love of material possessions, illicit sexual pleasure uh, at the expense of people. There's a lot of oppression. We see that chapters 2, 6 through 8, 3, 10, 3, 15. So as we've looked at in the past, uh, God is not mocked. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of people these days do mock God um, um, quite a bit as to the problems going on in this world and blaming God. But what we really see in Amos is something different. Um, that the, the blame really is squarely at the, at the people's feet here. And we need to understand that. And that's how he um, goes about this um, in chapter 3. 
he starts off with saying here this word the Lord has spoken against you O people of Israel so he's talking to his people um, and it's interesting here and I think some things you need to note is um, some kind of in between the lines speak here um, he, he says against the whole family that that I brought up out of the land of Egypt and I think that's that's very important for a number of reasons one who is he talking to he's talking to Israel um, but another I think clear aspect um, of what he's trying to get at is not only did gee I did this for you you should do this for me because I don't think that's the issue with God the issue is you are an oppressed people you are an enslaved people but I rescued you and look what you're doing you're oppressing and enslaving other people and as we looked at I think uh, the last time we met, we did look at the idea that that if, if you look at a binary of evil and good, so there's good people and evil people, um, in, in that sense, the oppressed are always the good people and the oppressor is always the evil people, uh, what you really begin to find historically is that those oppressed people, when they are finally released or they're finally given that power, they become the oppressors. Um, so it, it reminds us regularly of the biblical notion that, uh, that we're all actually sinful and fall short of the glory of God. It's just a matter of what opportunities we have and power and wealth and so on bring forth opportunities to oppress other people. And that's where really Amos is getting to. And then, so he says in verse 2, Let you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I'll punish you for all your iniquities. So he's really emphasizing the reality of his grace as he's chosen Israel amongst all the nations. And as we saw in chapters 1 and 2, he is judging the nations for their, their abominations, for their violence, for their oppression. But he's zeroing in, as we've looked at this book of Amos, on his own people. Um, and I think this needs to say something about how the church views the world and how view, church views the culture. It consistently seems to view it in this us versus them mentality. And um, looking at the church or God's people as the good people and the bad people are those outside the church. Um, and whether they're stuck in particular sins or whatever the issue is, we tend to consistently create that dynamic and that binary that is just not very biblical. As a matter of fact, the case is made here in Amos and other places that God actually... Um, zeroes in on his, the, the, the people of God more so and expects more from them because they've been given so much. Um, and so here he clearly says, you're going to be judged, you're going to be punished for your oppression. Then he, then he goes into this series of questions um, that three through six, and then, then we see seven and eight, and they don't seem to make any sense uh, on the outset. Um, it's the idea of do two people walk together unless they agree? Does a lion roar in the forest? Does a bird fall into a snare on the earth when there's no trap? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Well, the answer to all those rhetorical questions is no. And so I think what Amos is doing here, um, I, I don't think we look at these specifically as much as we do in a group. And he's laying out aspects of cause and effect. He's saying these are the realities. You don't walk together with somebody unless you're agreed, unless there's an agreement with that person. And a lion doesn't ruin the forest when he has no prey. He sneaks up on his prey. Um, a bird can't fall in a snare if 
no one set the trap. And no, it, so the reality of it is, this is cause and effect. That without the cause, there is there is no effect. Um, then in in six, he goes, "Is a trumpet blown in a city, and the people are not afraid?" Well, the answer also is, "Well, no, people are going to be afraid." And seven, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to a servant, the prophet. So, what is he getting at? Um, I think the he is really laying out this idea that there is an effect to your actions. And I think a lot of Christians kind of believe, well, I'm saved by grace, so my actions don't matter. And that is just not a reality at all. Um, we are called by God to be his people. And in that sense, represent his kingdom. Um, the problem is we keep on trying to represent other kingdoms, including our own nationalistic kingdom here in America. Um, and so what he's saying here is like, look, the scenario that's coming your way is your own problem. There is a cause and effect. There is effect to the issues and the causes that you, how you live your life. And if you want to live your life in opulence and not care about the poor, or in, or even ignoring injustices around you, um, while you have much of your own, um, that's a problem. That's a problem for God. And so in seven, he reminds them that the Lord doesn't do anything. God is not trying to judge people. Okay, he is not the bad ogre in the sky, but he won't be mocked. And God is very just. He's righteous. He will, he will rewrite the injustices in this earth. And we, we, we need to believe that. And he does nothing without revealing a secret. Um, God preached for 120 years to those that perished in the flood. Um, there is, um, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Um, he will give warning. And what Amos is saying is here is, I'm the prophet. I am giving you warning. There is a, there's a time to repent here. Um, but the problem is people aren't listening. Verse 8, he says, The lion has roared. God has spoken. Who will not fear? You would assume there'd be a fear. And the problem is also, I think, in our, um, you know, understanding of the fear of the Lord is, oh, that's something that you do if uh, you don't have a relationship with God. Um, uh, the, the Bible, doesn't the Bible say that uh, perfect love casts out all fear? Yeah, sure it does. Fear of judgment. Uh, as believers, we don't need to fear the judgment, the just wrath of God, because Christ has taken that upon himself. However, we are called to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, according to Proverbs. And all through scriptures, there's this awe and this fear of God. I, much like a, a, a young child should have an awe in respect of his parents. They have power over him. They have authority over him. When a parent uh, tells a, a two-year-old not to do certain things, hopefully that parent is a loving parent and wants the best for the child. Um, when you tell a, a child not to go play in the streets because you don't want them run over by the car, it is not taking a freedom away. It's actually expanding their freedom because the freedom is taken away by a car hitting them. Um, God is in the same way. He is this powerful authority um, that gives us commands for our own good. God's commands ultimately work for his glory and our good. And so the lion has warred. The Lord God has spoken, according to verse um, 7 and 8. 
who can but prophesy? So the issue is, he asked this question, Elias roared, who will not fear? Well, apparently, lots of people don't. Lots of people don't fear the Lord when they, when they speak. So he says to them then, in their delusion, that they can do what they want and think there's no consequences, or in this world and think there's no consequences. He goes on to verse 9, says, Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and the strongholds in the land of Egypt, say, Assemble yourselves in the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. He, he calls out these two kind of enemies, if you will, of Israel, um, which is interesting, and it's kind of more metaphoric than anything else, and tells them to look into Samaria, look into northern Palestine where Israel is, and look at their, their strife, their tumults, and their oppression in their midst. It's a horrible thing. And so what we see here, ultimately, is this cause and effect kind of thing that's happening, um, which is a reality. Uh, the consequences they're about to face are, in a sense, natural consequences. This is how God operates. Um, God kind of gives us over to our sin. As a matter of fact, you, you can turn to uh, Romans with me. I love Romans 1. Uh, Romans 1 is a, is a great, great chapter in the Bible. And, of course, in verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the, the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So God is saying, look, you've been forewarned. You know how powerful God is. Um, but you have no fear of him. Uh, matter of fact, it says in 21, for although they knew God, they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came fuel into thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 22 says, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, the birds, and animals, and creeping things. Now, what's interesting, though, in verse 24, he says, therefore... If you want to reject God, if you want to basically uh, deceive yourself and not fear God in any way, and basically just say, I don't accept the things that God has to say, he says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the suffering of their own bodies and themselves. So what we see is God gives them up. And why? Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. It's their desires. God doesn't take it away. He actually gives them to you. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves a due penalty for their error. Most people see this as most likely some form of homosexual acts. Now, what happens here is we usually stop and say, yes, yeah, see, God's going to... He's going to judge those homosexuals. But that is not exactly what he's saying here. That's not the main point even of the passage. The point of the passage has been um, that God is, is, is known, but we reject God. Okay? And so when you continue on, matter of fact, if you continue on to Romans, you realize this really has nothing to do with homosexuality in the sense of God zeroing anything out. 
And he says in verse 28, the issue is since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That's the issue. Many people say, well, is God going to judge homosexuals or is he going to send them to hell because they're homosexuals? The answer is no. God sends people to hell because they reject him. They don't see fit to acknowledge him as who he is. That's the issue here. So God gave him up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then he, it's interesting in verse 29, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, maliciousness, excuse me. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Notice he doesn't even mention homosexuality. And the same people that want to say that God is judging whatever, America, because of homosexuality, fail to realize this, the laundry list here that, that Paul uses, um, let's see, has things like a deceit, gossips, slanderers, haughty, boastful. My gosh, sounds like a lot of churches. Now, the reality of it is here is we can't just kind of zero in on one thing and not realize what Paul is saying here. The issue is the rejection of God. Therefore, he gives you over to your passions. For some, that is sexual sin. For others, that is a massive pride. For others, it's, a, it's an opulence and a, a desire to be wealthy and not care about those you step on to get there. Um, those are different passions, and they all have consequences. Um, and he ends in, in chapter 1, verse 32 of Romans, though they knew they know God's righteous decree of those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So really, Romans 1 is saying, look, you, you're without excuse. You know what's right. Matter of fact, chapter 2 is going to go into that. You know what's right, but you don't care because you reject God. But when you reject God, there will there's, there's natural consequences. He gives you over to those passions. That's actually a, a gift, if you will. He's not taking it away. He's actually giving it to you. Because when you expand yourself thinking that's freedom, you actually limit yourself. You become less than you ought to be. You become less free because you become addicted to whatever it, your passions are instead of what God has called you to. So there's actually, I think, a, a crossover um, in our passage today of Amos um, that he asks all these questions to get to the heart of the reality that there's consequences here. And if you're going to reject God's justice and oppress people and do what you want sexually and all these things, there, there's a giving over um, to your sins. Um, and that's really what he's saying here. He's telling metaphorical Ashdod and metaphorical Egypt, look into these people. Assemble yourselves in the mountains of Samaria and see their divisions. See their oppression. See their opulence that causes injustice. Um, they do not care to, to deal with. So going back to Amos in verse 11, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary will surround the land. There's three things, very clear. There's an adversary going to surround you. It's going to bring down the defenses um, from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Three things, very clear. 
And then in verse 12, he says probably one of the strangest statements. He says, Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with a corner of a couch and part of a bed. Um, weird saying, but this is what it basically means. Uh, in the law, the shepherd, if he lost an animal to violence, to say a lion, um, he would have to go find the parts to prove that you know he didn't just steal the lamb. And that's what this is saying here. The shepherd has to rescue uh, the mouth of the lion, two legs, and a piece of an ear. So should the people of Israel be rescued. Meaning that this destruction is going to be pretty brutal. And there might be some people that, that kind of move in and out through it. And there's going to be maybe some literally saving the skin of their teeth. But the reality of it is, it's just like the shepherd picking up the parts after a lion has a feast on his animals. And then he says this idea, dwell in Samaria to be rescued with a corner of a couch and part of a bed. I will tell you that um, looking at commentaries, I would say no one actually knows what that means. And I'm going to leave it at that because the, the, the overall verse is pretty clear. And then he finishes up by saying, Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel, for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, also in northern uh, Palestine where Israel is. And the horns of the altar should be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. That is just an issue of just, I am going to destroy their opulence. The opulence that was built on the back of oppression, um, he will destroy. And, and so, Looking at this, there's a few things to, to, to think about, to take away, whatever, um, that I want to hit on. Uh, one is that God does care about justice. Uh, in weeks to come, um, I, I hope to be able to actually have some, um, some solid panels working through uh, the issues of our day uh, on justice. Uh, we, we, you know, there's, the buzzwords of the day are uh, critical race theory. And uh, is that good or bad? I'm going to do a, a whole piece on critical race theory, um, and I hope you join us for that. Um, issues of justice, um, and the issues of justice in our land that I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are ignoring, um, which is extremely unfortunate, because I think the heart of God is to not ignore injustice and to walk justly with your God, according to Micah 6 8. Um, also, the issue of nationalism um, you Israel is probably really excited when God judges the nations and sees themselves as their God's people but what Amos is trying to tell them is just because you think you're God's people does not mean that God lets you skate you know this 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 weird idea that oh I, I'm, I'm a Christian I'm a follower of Jesus so I, I guess I can do anything I want that's not really a biblical idea at all. Um, God has called us from something to something. And he saves us by grace through his cross so that we can be his servant, not the servant of other things. Because we're, as Bob Dylan reminded us, you're going to serve somebody. Okay, You're going to serve mammon in what mammon brings and what money brings and, and power brings. Or you're going to serve God in his kingdom. And that's what he's called every one of us to. And so ignoring injustices are, are what these people are doing here in northern Palestine, in Samaria, in Bethel, 
in those areas. And God is calling them out. So this, this whole movement to nationalistic movement and not caring about who's at the border and not caring about who's oppressed in our own country is not what God has called us to do. Politicians have to deal with that, but that is not what we are called to do. Another note, um, as I was thinking through the issue that there's consequences of sin, it's interesting in the Romans passage, um, there's many that think that Paul took that list of sins from some of the moralists of the day. And it's interesting because the heart of that passage is not those sins. The heart of the passage is rejecting God and rejecting God's uh, redemption from our sins. And, and so moralists keep on trying to make us better, make us, if you do this, you're better. And I think what happens is in the church is we, we buy into the moralist argument that, well, I don't do certain sins, so I'm okay. But that is just not a reality biblically. I mean, he literally lists uh, gossip. Seems like the sin of the church um, as one of those things. So God's whole design for righteousness and holiness is different than a moralist approach. It, it comes through Christ and his cross, the power of the Spirit in our lives, but works in our lives to see that not only have we been given grace, but we are called to give grace to others and not see other people as the enemies to stop. Um, and that's, I think that's important. Um, a couple other observations. Um, I think in the face of the lion's roar, we should soberly refere, revere and fear God. Um, we might have a relationship with God, that's very true. In that sense, Jesus calls us his friend, but it's like any other friendship. Um, you know, except the fact that our friend happens to be the creator of the universe. <laughs> and so uh, there's, a, there's a reverence and an awe and a fear we ought to have for the Lion of Zion, uh, Jesus. Um, so another one is, just as a... As obedience to God's word was needed in Amos' day, the same is true for us. That has not changed. God calls us to obedience. One, it gives us great freedom because it frees us from all the things that actually end up limiting, limiting us. But we are called to obedience. Um, and, and that is motivated by our love of God and love of others, Matthew 22, 37, 39. That's the end game of all theology. That when we love God and love others, then, then the obedience aspect and the things God calls us to, including getting rid of our privileges for the sake of someone else. I heard someone in a sermon this week use the idea that Jesus' love is an adoptive love. That even though he didn't create the problems in the world, he himself adopted the problems, placed it on his back, and went to the cross for it. That's an incredible vision of God's love. And I think many... People, many Americans will say, well, I, I didn't cause those problems. I didn't cause the border problems. I didn't cause the race problems. Well, whether you did or not is not really that relevant. The issue, bottom line, is can you adopt the problems just like your Savior? You know, John 20, 21 says, he says, as the Father sent me, I send you. And there's massive implications to that. 
If we're a follower of Jesus, are we acting like Jesus to the world? Are we showing love to those that, that are oppressed? Whether you think they're oppressed or not. Um, and I think another, and maybe one of the last things is, we need to uphold God's standards of, 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 of sexual purity and social justice. Uh, when we live to advance our own pleasures and, um, and neglect others, um, we, are, we are not acting as kingdom grace bearers of the kingdom of God. So, as Christians, we should be thankful that Jesus came not only to, to announce sin, but to battle the powers. I mean, Christ came so that we could be free to actually serve him. Um, he came as God's warrior king to defeat Satan. He does that with the cross, you know, of Jesus. I mean, incredible verse um, in Colossians, Colossians 2 um, is in verses, I believe, 14 and 15, say, by canceling, so he goes to the cross, it says, um, you were dead in your, uh, yeah, you're dead in your trespass, passes in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses then in 14 Colossians 2 14 says by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him um, and that's that's an incredible thing that um, that Christ that Christ has done for us. Um, and so we are called then to, to serve him, to be the ambassadors of reconciliation. So if we have a, of a nation that's divided on these issues of justice, why are we balking against the desire to reconcile, the desire to, to enter into uh, the pain of our brothers and sisters that feel the pain of injustice. Uh, why are we afraid to look deep down into our own hearts and our own soul to see where there's a possibility that we have neglected or I have neglected something that might cause some of that injustice. So next time uh, we'll, we, we will uh, we'll be continuing in our study of Amos, but we'll also be looking at uh, different social things and how Jesus intersects with the culture um, in, in the issues that are very popular in our day, uh, particularly, like I said, critical race theory, uh, the race issues. I have a couple of podcasts I'm very excited about, bringing um, some really good um, panel members on and a couple of different ones to discuss uh, those issues. Um, and also down the line to discuss the issues of the church that I think are very uh, important for us today. So hope you enjoyed our time. God bless. See you later.